just like to welcome everyone who's joining us today for our live stream. This is only one part of our service here at the Chelsea Community Church and City Temple. Uh, if you'd like to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email. Uh, but preferably, come down and join us here at Chelsea Community Church on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. If you have your Bibles, let's turn first to Genesis, uh, then to John chapter 10, and finally to 1 Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak your word into our hearts today by your grace and mercy. We love you and praise you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people boldly and faithfully through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, in Genesis, we're going to start in chapter 1, pick up with verse 26 to 28, and then skip over to chapter 2. Uh, and these are the creation accounts in Genesis. Uh, not the whole thing, just some excerpts from that. Starting verse 26, God's created everything else. And he's, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all uh, the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves, on the earth. And then skipping to chapter 2 with verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, wow. That's kind of in there. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because uh, she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
which I think is one of the greatest miracles of the creation story. Then let's go to John chapter 10. Uh, very uh, famous few verses here. We'll start with verse 7 down to verse 11. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am well, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then finally, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. I always like to read this because a lot of people are surprised when they discover it's in the scriptures. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, a number of years ago, I made my first foray into Apple. Uh, and uh, uh, I always, I had a number of friends that liked Mac, MacBook computers, but they always seemed very frustrated with them. But I felt like that uh, I needed to make a shift. And so I shift from, shifted from my lowly PC uh, to, a, to a MacBook, uh, MacBook Pro computer. Uh, and I just got a, a new one recently uh, because my other one needed to be going to somebody else. Uh, and, uh, and so, but the thing, if you've ever had anything by Apple, you'll note when you get the box, you know, it's always a really cool box. And there's always one thing that's completely absent from the box, a manual. In fact, I don't even know if anybody at Apple knows how to work an Apple computer. I think they have a whole bunch of people just throw things together. And I know over the years, I've been, there have been times I get so frustrated with the, with the dumb computer that if it wasn't for how expensive it was, I would have thrown it out the window many times. Uh, and, uh, and I'd get so annoyed and I'd find a workaround only to discover maybe a year later that there was a way to do what I was fighting to do with just a click of two or three buttons. Uh, it's so annoying. I've got a friend who knows just about everything. I call him uh, Mac Guru. Uh, he's Bill. So, Bill, if you're on there, uh, he's my Mac Guru. I can normally ask him any question. He can come up with an answer. But it's, you know, it's one of those really challenging things because if we don't know how something is supposed to work, if we don't know how it's supposed to operate, then it's hard for us to flourish using it. You know, no matter what tool it is, uh, no matter what we have, whether it's our cars, uh, and who knows how to operate a car anymore, uh, whether it's our cars uh, or, 
uh, or, or even a relationship. You know, this is something that's not just true about physical things. It's also true about our relationships. I see so many couples that fall apart because they just don't know how the husband-wife thing is supposed to work. And I try to help them understand that uh, before I do a, a wedding service, but sometimes they just don't get it. And sometimes I have to pull out some instructions for them, and even then a lot of times they don't listen to me, but that's their fault, it's not mine, uh, you know, when that happens. Uh, and it, it really even applies to our own lives. You know, a lot of times I think we struggle because we don't understand how life is supposed to work. You know, when I first became a minister, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, this is a, a holy calling. And, uh, and that means I'm going to lead a bunch of, of lovely Christian people, all of whom love Jesus, and all of whom are going to be very eager and excited to listen to what I have to say, even though I was only 28 and some of them were in their 60s and 70s, you know, surely they will listen to my wise advice and counsel about the Bible because actually I've been to school on this, so I know just about everything there is to know about the books. And you know what? It doesn't work that way. And I got so upset with people, and I got so upset with God because I thought, it's not working. But then I actually started reading the manual, uh, otherwise known as the Bible for us Christians, and, uh, and I began to learn that my expectations were wrong and that the way I thought things should work is not the way that things actually work. And right now we are living in a time where all around us in our, in our nation, we've got people who are really struggling in their lives because they don't know how it's supposed to work. Or they've been given instructions from somebody who's never used the product. It's kind of like me taking instructions for how to do my Mac computer from somebody who's never owned a Mac but still operates Windows. If you don't know, those two don't go together. You know, they're a bit at odds. But that's the reality. And the sad thing is that this lack, uh, this lack of understanding is causing such tremendous pain and heartache. I came across a story just this last week uh, of a young woman named Charlie. And uh, I was in a newspaper. Uh, and if you uh, contact me, I'll give you a link or I'll say, actually send you the article. I've got it on my computer now. Send you the article. I'm not going to go through the whole story. It's her story to tell. But, you know, this is a, a young woman. She's growing up. She was kind of a tomboy. You know, she liked climbing trees. It's a bit like Karen. My wife was quite a tomboy uh, growing up. She liked climbing trees and doing things like that. When uh, her friends started getting interested in boys, she's like, gross. You know, I don't even want to think about that. And then, you know, the whole sex talks and all that. Oh, golly. You know, keep me away from all that. So, Lo and behold, her friends started saying, you know, it sounds like that you're probably gay. You know, so she explored that and, and on and on in the story. And as the story goes on, you know, someone said, well, I, you know, I think maybe, maybe you're a man 
trapped in, in a, a girl's body and you need to transition. And she saw some doctors and things who were encouraging her that way. And, uh, and the problem is that the further she went, she didn't get any happier with herself. And she and her friends were all thinking about taking their own life. And uh, notice, uh, she said this, I'll quote this from the article. When I looked around at friends, also living their most authentic lives, quote unquote, they were as unhappy as I was. They smiled as I did and reveled in how free and just and authentic it all was. But it is no exaggeration to say that every one of them had at least one major unmanaged mental health issue. Panic, suicidal depression, self-harm, and eating disorders among the most common manifestations of something being not right. But if we were unhappy, it was, we thought it was just because we hadn't made it to our destinations. In such a position, there are two options. Admit you are wrong and ask for help, or double down. All of us doubled down. And if any of us ever expressed any doubt among or, uh, or ourselves, or even as I did to medical professionals, we were encouraged or browbeaten into staying within the fold and fulfilling our quote unquote queer identity, queer destiny, excuse me. It was a cult, end quote, she said. In the end, she began to realize that all the stuff she was told was not true. And she found a doctor and a counselor who understood this and began to help her. And she shares that now, you know, she's a, 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 a settled young woman, uh, maybe get married one day and all this. But she looks back on this and she says, if I had been allowed to keep going, I certainly would have committed suicide because on the other side of any kind of thing that they would do to me, I would not have been any happier. And it's a powerful thing to see what's going on. And that kind of story is not uncommon in our world right now. And sadly, that kind of story is not even uncommon in, amongst Christians right now, which says a lot more about the state of the church of Jesus Christ today than it does about Jesus Christ especially because God wants us to flourish. God wants us to flourish as human beings. And people today are failing to flourish. Many people don't even understand what the good life actually is, let alone know how to find it. And there's so much dysfunction today, so much illness today, and dare I say even a lot of mental illness today, because people have not consulted the manual given by their designer and their creator. And they've not sought it the way God has told us to. Even many who call themselves Christians have actually missed the point. And so obviously today, I'm not gonna deal with all the complex issues that are involved in a, a situation like, like Charlie's situation or like the many other people that are going through right now. But I wanna give a foundation for understanding our human condition from the scriptures and also to understand that God wants us to flourish. Because what I find with a lot of Christians is that we don't really believe that God wants us to flourish. Many seem to think that God wants us to be miserable. 
that God is some cosmic killjoy that can't wait to smite us, to cook us like a crispy critter when we slightly step out and do the wrong thing. And people like to look at all the stories of the Old Testament and say, oh, that's what God's like. You know, he's just, he's so mean, he's so cruel. Uh, oh, it's so good that Jesus came because Jesus, you know, he, he's just not mean or cruel. Uh, and so he accepts everything. And, you know, we just don't have a grasp on reality, on what the Bible actually says to us about how we need to flourish. And it's so important that we understand so we can actually communicate with people around us and see through many of the lies that are told to us. The first thing, we must understand that God has created and designed human beings to flourish. God created us to flourish. God designed us to flourish. God's intention for us was to flourish as human beings. God created all human beings according to the text, and I'm going out of the text. Everything I say is coming from the text. God created all human beings in the image of God. Men, women, you're all in the image of God. There is something unique about our humanity that was stamped on us by our creator, which means that every human being has an intrinsic dignity and value. Every human being has an intrinsic dignity and value. And so, Christian, if you ever talk to somebody out of rudeness, you're being very unchristian. Because no matter what that person is, no matter what they've done, no matter what they say, they have an intrinsic dignity and value because they're created in the image of God. And God loves them. The other thing we learn here that God created and designed us to flourish is that God created us as male and female. Now, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of discussions about gender today and gender identity, and I've read a lot of stuff on it that's just, I, I'm sorry, it's fanciful thinking. It's fanciful thinking. And like gender is whatever you create it to be. And I think that we're starting to have a shift in our world, certainly in our nation, of understanding God created us male and female. God created us male and female. Uh, men are not better than women. Can I get an amen? That, you know, there were very few women that gave me an amen on that. Men are not better than women. Yeah, and I need more men saying that too. And women are not better than men. We've all been created by God with a uniqueness. Every one of us is unique. Uh, we are diverse. There's a great diversity amongst us as men and women. There's a complementarity, which means that some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts, and that's a good thing. Because if the world was all introverts, we would have died out a few million years ago. You know? God's created us with this great diversity. All of our cultures, our cultural diversity is a gift from God. It's part of our flourishing that God's designed. And God's created us, male and female, with equality. That's how he's designed us. And even though we're male and female, 
we all have a varying range of feminine and masculine. Just like Charlie and Karen, when they were young girls growing up, you know, they would, they would uh, climb trees and do things, you know, they'd prefer, prefer to play football with the boys than Barbies with the girls. You know, it doesn't mean that they were men. You know, it just means that there were some masculine things, aspects of their personality. And that was absolutely okay. I remember meeting a guy one time, this years ago, in an in a art gallery in the United States. And I thought for sure that the guy I was talking to was gay. Okay, I'm going to treat him with dignity and respect. It doesn't matter. And, uh, and so I was talking to him. And after a while of talking to him, because uh, he had all the mannerisms that one might expect, after a while, his wife came in. And I learned that he was a minister of a very conservative denomination. And so, you know, what we often do, we see certain behaviors and we label them as feminine or masculine. We all confuse that with male or female. And then we get all messed up. But God created us male and female to flourish as male and female. He wants us to flourish as male and female. God created us for relationship and community. We are designed to be social. First and foremost with God as the one true God, but then also with one another. We are social beings. You can't get away from that reality. God gave us purpose and creativity. That's part of our flourishing, is purpose and creativity. He gave Adam meaningful work. He said, hey, take care of this garden. Do some work, take, take care of it, tend it like I would tend it. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and take care of it, is what that text is saying. So we have, we have purpose and creativity through meaningful work and production, and we have a mission to see God's loving will brought to all of creation. And so as a Christian, I'm concerned about the climate because that's within my remit. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take care of it, subdue it, but that means take care of it. You know, I'm, I'm concerned about all those things. And as Christians, we need to be concerned about that full range of things because it's part of our purpose and our creativity. God's a creative God. If he wasn't, how in the world would you get a duck-billed platypus? God's a creative God. If he wasn't, how in the world would you get me? Or you? And we're called to be creative people. And, get this, God gave us freedom. Freedom is given to us by God. And, uh, and that's where a lot of people say, yeah, but, you know, God has all these laws and these rules and things like that that we have to obey. You know what? I'm going to tell you this. God gave us freedom with very few rules. How many rules did Adam have, Adam and Eve have, in the garden? How many rules? One. There was just one rule. Don't eat of this tree. Isn't that extraordinary? They have this diversity of trees. Hundreds, maybe thousands of different fruit trees. God says, hey, you can eat of all of these trees except this one. 
That's your one rule. And obviously they didn't keep it. So what a mess. What a mess. But, uh, but you think, okay, well now God has lots of rules in the Bible. Now I want to put this into context, okay? Uh, to compare with all this, uh, when the UK joined the EU in 1990, from that time until the time that the UK got out of the EU, there were, the UK added more than 52,000 laws. Okay, 52,000 laws were added while we were in the EU. Now to me, that sounds like a lot of laws, and it is. Now I tell you, there's a lot more laws in, in the UK than just 52,000. There's hundreds of thousands of laws, so many that none of us can get it. Uh, Ashe just graduated from law school, and she probably knows maybe a half a percent of all the laws. In fact, that's why you got so many different lawyers in so many different fields, the solicitors, because they, they can learn all these laws, because there's so many of them. And they change all the time. I remember we got inspected our house one time for electrical inspection. And, uh, and the guy who inspected it to certify it as safe, he said, well, actually, right now, uh, you're not up to code. It's not, you're not legal. But what I've done is I've, in, in three months, the laws are going to change. And so I've made it so that when the laws change, you'll be up to code. So, so I was in violation of the law. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. Now let's compare this to God. Okay, God wants us to flourish. He's given us freedom. But you say, he's given us all these rules. No, he hasn't. You can reduce the entirety of everything that God says in the Old Testament. So yeah, there's a lot of variations, okay? We understand that. A lot of specific, case-specific applications. But you can reduce everything to 10. So we've got this freedom, and God says, hey, you've got all this freedom. There's only 10 things that I want you to do. Don't kill anybody. Don't murder somebody. Don't steal from them. Don't covet what they have. Uh, don't sleep around. Uh, don't worship any of the gods but me. Uh, treat your parents with respect. And a couple others in there. Just 10. Just 10. And you know what? Okay, so, so now you're thinking, oh man, but 10, that sounds way too many, even though there's 52,000 from the EU. Okay, come on. 10. 10 laws. Just 10 things. God tells you. 10. And Jesus says, okay, guys, if that's too hard for you, let's reduce it to two. And he says there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then all of that, Jesus says, everything in the Old Testament, including the Big Ten, hang on the Big Two. So I know, I know it's a burden to understand that you have double the number of rules that Adam had in the garden. Adam had one. We've got two, but it's extraordinary. And God did that for us for our flourishing. 
This totally obliterates the notion that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy with a, a big list of don'ts and he's ready to strike you dead. And the important thing to understand is that God's rules are designed to protect and enhance our freedom, our purpose, and our creativity, our flourishing. What God says is not to make life unfun, it's to set us free so we can flourish and not have to worry about all that stuff. Sounds a lot easier than UK law. In the end, God ordered our lives to promote maximum human flourishing according to our design and according to his image in us. That's God's purpose, his intention, his, intention, his, in or, his ordering for everything, and God has invited us to worship him because in worshiping him, we can find the deepest sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. So where did it all go wrong? Why aren't we all flourishing today? Well, we have this little thing called sin. We all know the story, Adam and Eve, what they do, they can't even keep the one. So Satan comes and says, hey, what about this? It really looks tasty. And Eve goes, oh, that does look tasty. She tastes, oh, Adam, hey, this is really good. I mean, this is so much better than that orange we had the other day. You gotta try this. And he tries it, and something called sin enters into this world. It is what corrupts human flourishing. It is what distorts everything that God has designed. Every failure of flourishing in our world today is due to human sinfulness and brokenness because of sinfulness. I challenge anyone to come up to me, come up with something that's not due to sin. And we'll have an interesting discussion. Everything. Sin distorts our human dignity and value, including our relationships and our sense of purpose. And what sin does, sin reduces people to something less than God designed us to be, something less than God intended. So the tendency, and you'll see it all around you when you open your eyes to this, what begins to happen, we begin to reduce people to their sexual behavior. You know what? I would not accept the label heterosexual because I'm not a heterosexual. I am a human being created by God, loved by Jesus, who happens to order my sexuality according to what God says in the manual. And every time we try to reduce somebody down to a label based on something they do, in the privacy of their bedrooms or whatever, we are reducing their humanity. And every time we think that somebody has to live as a slave to that reduction, we're reducing their humanity. And we just don't see it, we don't understand it. We reduce an unborn baby to a fetus. But it's still an unborn baby. It's a human being. Whether or not you agree with abortion, what's being killed is a human being. We reduce a producer to a consumer. That's one of the big pressures of the last 30 years. Make us all consume rather than produce. 
You know how we measure our wealth as a nation? It's called gross domestic product, not gross domestic consumption. And yet, what we're doing is turn everybody into consumers. That's an act of sin. That's an act of sin. We reduce a person to a label. We reduce a man or a woman to some self-contrived gender. We surrender to and even celebrate our dysfunctions and our illnesses. Oh, I'm a diabetic. Isn't that wonderful? No, I happen to have a disease called diabetes. Don't label me. Because I'm not going to wear your label that you apply to me. And in a sense, we should understand this in the whole discussion about what your pronoun is going to be. In a sense, it's about don't label me. I'll choose my own labels. But unfortunately, sin often causes us to choose substandard labels for ourselves. In this whole reductionism, we surrender to and even celebrate, or I said that, and we label ourselves with our limitations. Instead of seeing out of who God has designed us to be. And that's a function of sin. And we need to understand it as a function of sin. And sin, further, it mistakes license for freedom. Now, license is unrestricted behavior. So the person who's living out of license says, well, I'll do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter uh, how anybody responds. I'm just going to do what I do. And it's just because I do. And furthermore, it's just because it's me that I do what I do. And all of that's a lie. But that, that lie leads to this license. Now, freedom, freedom always has personal responsibility attached to it. If you're free, you have to do something with it. And if you don't do something with your freedom that is productive, then you're not really free. Now, so what sin does, it mistakes license for freedom, then destroys freedom and makes people slaves and victims. Right now, people are living with a victim mentality. I've been victimized by these people. Somebody says something you disagree with. Oh, that offended me. And it's like, come on, grow up. You can't be offended unless you willingly take offense. But that's the power of sin. That's the power of sin. And what that's done, look, take sec the sexual revolution, for instance. I remember back in the 60s and 70s, it was promised, you know, women, burn your bras. You're going to be free. You can, you'll be equal with men. You can do whatever you want to do. But let me tell you, there's been an increase since that time, an increase of the number of women who are raped, a number of the women who are trafficked, the number of women who are forced into pornography, the number of women who are molested at work, and that list can go on. That's what this license of the sexual revolution has actually brought for more people. It comes from sin. Sin lies and says that we are not enough as God created us. So I need to be something else. I'm a woman, I need to be a man. I'm a man, I need to be a woman. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm dark-skinned, I need to be light-skinned. And on and on and on. Instead of accepting how God has made us. Sin distorts love into self-centeredness and personal pleasure, which breaks our relationships and turns our relationships into transactions. I give you this, you give me that, and we're happy. I take you out for a meal, you have sex with me. That's prostitution. It's not a relationship. 
And sin gives ground to the demonic influences in our world. And these demonic influences control people and the people systems. It gives way for that. Sin leads us to worship the wrong things and the wrong gods. Sin spreads like a virus. That's why we have so many fad issues and fad cures. I've seen this so many times over, over my life where there's such a thing as anorexia. Don't get me wrong. And it's a terrible disease. But I also remember when anorexia first came into the, the public consciousness and how so many women thought they had anorexia, but they didn't because it was there. And they were seeing it. It's the power of sin. And sin renders all our human attempts to fix the world ultimately ineffective. I mean, you can see that if you look at the hypocrisy of people in the climate change movement. How many of them drive diesel vehicles? How many of them fly from posh engagement to posh engagement? How many of them live in huge carbon-sucking, uh, carbon-producing mansions? Although, by God's grace, we do get glimpses of what it's like to flourish, even amongst those who are not Christians. So that's kind of the bad news. So the good news is God's created us for flourishing. The bad news is that sin has totally messed up our ability to flourish. But then the good, good news, or the better news, or the gooder news, is that Jesus came to restore our flourishing through the cross and the empty tomb. It's just like he said there in John chapter 10. I have come to strike down all the miserable sinners who don't do exactly what God wants them to do. No, he didn't say that, right? He says, I have come that people might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. And he said, I'm the doorway for this. So if you want to enter this life, you're going to come through me. But I'm the doorway because I have come so that all the people in the world can have life and have it to the full. How do we do that? It happens by God's grace through faith in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So God's grace comes upon us. We respond to Jesus. We trust him. The Spirit of God fills us and we begin to live for Jesus and learn how to flourish. And that's what's called being born again or being saved in, in the parlance. Now, how did Jesus do this? He lived a sinless life of flourishing in a sinful world so all could see. He didn't do sin. He didn't cooperate with sin. He didn't do anything wrong, but he flourished. And he flourished, and people around him saw that he was flourishing. The prostitutes and the tax collectors saw that he was flourishing. The only people that didn't see he was flourishing were the religious people. That's why I don't like to be those hyper-Pharisee religious types. But people saw that he was flourishing. And even people today see that he was flourishing. I've told the story about the Monty Python group when they were going to do the life of Brian. And initially, their intent back in the 70s was to make fun of Jesus. But John Cleese told how they all went away and read the New Testament. And they came back together and said, hey, we can't make fun of this guy. There's nothing to make fun of. So let's make fun of his followers instead, which they did, and they did a good job of it, aside from all of the objectionable bits in there. Because Jesus flourished, and people recognize it. People even today recognize that Jesus flourished, 
and they think, oh, wow, we need to be like Jesus. The problem is they've not read the book, and they don't know who Jesus really was and what he really said, and so they don't flourish, and they have an illusion of Jesus. Then Jesus died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he showed the ugliness of sin. Why do we need the cross? You need to see that sin is ugly, as ugly as nails being driven into a man's hand and a spear thrust in his side and 39 lashes in his back. That's the ugliness of sin. And a lot of times we're, we get deceived because we don't think of it as ugly. It's like the story of the guy uh, whose little girl had a sleepover and she said, oh, we want to watch this film. And the dad said, no, you can't watch the film. You're only nine and the film is rated 18. And she said, well, there's only just a little bit of violence and bad stuff in it. You know, please, Dad. And she whined and said, no, no. And so he came back later, because they were all upset. He came back later and said, hey, guys, I just want to know, I bought, I baked you a, 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 pot, a pan of brownies, your favorite. And they're like, oh, great, that's great. Oh, just one thing. I took a little bit of the cat poo out of the kitty litter, and I mixed it in with the brownies. Now, there's just a little bit in it, but uh, you probably won't even taste it. Do you think any of them actually ate the brownies? I might have been tempted. Depends on how good the brownies were. But <laughs> you kind of get the point. You kind of get how that works. So he showed the ugliness of sin as well as paying the price for the ugliness of sin and breaking the power of sin and redeeming us from sin. It all happened when he died for us on the cross. And then he rose bodily from the dead because, you know, anybody can die, right? That's easy. But rising from the dead on the third day, as you said you were going to do uh, several months earlier, that's hard. And so he rises bodily from the dead and shows that uh, he has overcome sin and death and all the powers of hell. All the things that are against our flourishing were overcome in the cross and the empty tomb. And then Jesus ascended into the heavens and sent the Holy Spirit. And in sending the Holy Spirit, he created the church. And so by all of these acts, through faith in Jesus, and it only happens when we have faith in Jesus, he restores our ability to flourish in this world. He gives us authority to advance his loving rulership and bring flourishing into this broken world. Everywhere we go, we should be helping people to flourish. It's not about throwing a couple quid to the person begging on the street. It's about helping that person learn how to flourish. And that's our calling. And that's what we're called to do. We're not about condemning people. We're not about attacking people. We don't have to point out their sin because God is very good at that. We're called and we've been given authority to advance God's loving rulership. He did that too in creating a community of flourishing by his Holy Spirit. The sad thing is that most churches aren't. But that's not a fault of design. That's a fault of obedience and understanding what God is doing. Uh, and he's done all this, even though sin and Satan still remain in the world today, we can flourish. We can flourish. And one day, Jesus promised he's going to come again and at first, when he comes again, he'll restore the world so that everybody on the planet flourishes. And then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth for unlimited, unstoppable, unceasing human flourishing. 
We will flourish moment by moment in relationship with God and one another for all eternity. And that is going to be awesome. And this is what Jesus has done. Now, how do we know that Jesus has done this or is going to do this? We know it because he rose from the dead. He rose bodily from the dead on the third day. So this all means that together, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can flourish, even in a world filled with sin. It doesn't matter. You can't say, well, my parents didn't let me flourish. That's not true. You can't say, oh, the government doesn't let me flourish. That's not true. You can flourish in relationship with Jesus Christ. In this world, and ultimately, completely, in the next. So how can this happen? Well, first and foremost, everybody has to surrender your life to Jesus. You are not going to flourish. You know, I'm using my MacBook. I, I could say, well, I'm going to use my MacBook like a MacBook, but I'm also going to use it as a Linux computer. doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. You have to surrender fully to who God made you to be and to who God is remaking you to be in Jesus Christ. A partial surrender is not surrender. To say, God, I'll give you everything except what's behind my back. You know what God wants? What's behind your back. Because complete, permanent surrender is what it requires. And to do that, you've got to realize that you don't know how to flourish. You don't. I thought I did outside of Christ. And many times after becoming a Christian, I thought, well, this is, you know, this sounds right. I should do it this way. This is what God would want me. And I deceived myself time after time because really only God knows how we can flourish. Jesus knows how to flourish. Jesus has made it possible. And we have to say, okay, Jesus, I don't know what it means for me to flourish, but you do. Help me to do that. I surrender to you. And part of this process frankly, is embracing the pain and the struggle and the effort of living as a follower of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if you follow Jesus, your life will get harder, not easier. I guarantee you. How about that for a sales pitch? You know, buy my product and it's going to be bad for you. I guarantee you that it will get harder. I guarantee you that some things will be more difficult, but I can also guarantee you, based on my experience in my life, that you will flourish through it all if you really follow Jesus, if you really commit yourself to Jesus. That's absolutely key. And we have to have confidence in our faith in Jesus Christ. We have to have confidence in true Christianity. And frankly, it's hard to find today because there's so much false Christianity. There's so much crap and I'd say crap, that's masquerading as Jesus. Uh, and Jesus said that was going to happen, by the way. Paul said it was going to happen. Peter said it was going to happen. So the Bible, the book tells you how it was going to happen. It tells you also how to recognize it. But there's a lot out there that a lot of people have believed, and it's really messed them up. And so we've got to have confidence in the faith in Jesus as revealed in the Bible. It's the only global faith system that genuinely affirms human dignity and value. Communism doesn't do that. 
You know, both uh, 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 Mao and Stalin were happy to see 40, 50 million people die of starvation. You know, Hinduism doesn't do that. They're happy. They've been happy to see the lower castes. You know, they'll be resurrected, uh, reincarnated. So we don't have to worry about that. It's only because Christians have stood up that many have responded. You know, the, uh, the Red Crescent of the Muslims? That came out of jealousy for the Red Cross. It's all around because we can look and see, yeah, we believe in people and we want them to flourish. And it's too bad that we've got the bad reputation that we have. And it's a global faith system based in history, the resurrection. You know who wrote the Quran? One man. You know who testified to the resurrection? At least five different writers. It's there. Who are you going to believe? How are you going to follow? It's there. And to flourish, we need to change a bit of our reputation in this world right now. And we need to change it by treating all human beings with dignity and respect, even those with whom we disagree violently. And by violent, I don't mean this violently, but uh, in, in fierceness of argument. I mean, it's time. I've just seen this too much in my lifetime where Christians treat non-Christians uh, like they're a piece of junk. And that's an insult to God and it's an insult to Jesus. All human beings need to be treated with dignity and respect. And all human beings need to be treated with dignity and respect in the legal system of our nation. Doesn't change my views on the scriptures but it's a reality that we have to live out. And we have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as good news. For too long, it's been bad news. I've been recently going up, uh, I've lived near Angel, and I'll walk up there, and from time to time, there's people preaching out on the street. And I'm not against street preaching, but you can hear it in their voice. Before you hear what they say, you hear anger. And then you listen to what they say, and you hear anger. Do you know the only person that really has the right to be angry is God? He's got the right to be angry. We don't. And we certainly don't have that when we share Jesus Christ. People need to understand he's good news. He's come so that people would flourish. He's come so that people could really live life as God designed us to live life. He's come so that eventually his loving rulership would become dominant on this planet. And he's come to show us that one day there's going to be a totally new creation where we're not going to have sin and all these problems. It will be unlimited, permanent flourishing. And we enter all of that through, through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, right now, people around us are wrestling with some of the deepest, darkest issues ever in the history of the world. It's time that we become, as a church, communities of flourishing that point people to Jesus Christ faithfully, the Lord who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that all human beings 
could overcome the power of sin that destroys our flourishing and ruins our dignity and live lives as God intended for God's glory. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that you just speak it into our hearts, challenge us, Lord, and strengthen us in our faith in this season. We do love you and praise you. And Lord, I pray for that young woman that we talked about earlier, that's Charlie. I pray, Lord, that your grace and mercy would be upon her and upon her life and also upon her friends. And we pray for others, Lord, that are struggling right now with their identity. They're struggling with their sexuality. They're struggling with wondering, am I a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body? They're struggling with this sense of worthlessness. They're struggling with self-harm and suicidal thoughts and deep, dark depression. They're struggling with these things and such increasing measures. We pray for them, Lord. We call out to you for them. And we pray, Lord God, that you would raise us up individually and corporately and raise other churches up with their individual Christians and corporately to become communities of flourishing in this city and in this world for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. Not compromising our theology, our understanding of you founded in your word, but completing the mission that you came to proclaim to the world that you came for life and abundant life. Let that be true of us by your grace and in the power of your Holy Spirit. For we love you and we worship you and adore you. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.